Today's podcast is brought to you by AssaultLimited.com. Even when you aren't saying anything, you're saying something. Let your gear say the right thing for you. That's where Assault Limited comes in. Assault Limited offers tactical versions of things you use every day. The Assault Pen is a great quality, intimidating looking pen with a pinpoint tip used for self-defense or to break glass. The Assault Spork has so many different tactical uses, we only have time to highlight a few. It's a spoon, a fork, a wrench, a carabiner, and a bottle opener. The possibilities are endless. The Assault Pencils and the Assault Straws, well, they both look pretty badass and they both tell political correctness to take a long jump off a short bridge. When you need things and you want them to be the best quality while issuing a statement to anyone else who sees, look at assaultlimited.com. Also sponsoring today's podcast is Urban Savage, U-R-B-N-S-V-G.com. The best quality apparel available. American-made t-shirts and sweatshirts that fit great with the quality that will outlast the creepy battery bunny. The Date Night Tee, which is the badass's version of the subtle embroidered logo t-shirt that so many of us grew up with. And the hats are 100% American-made, not just embroidered here like so many others. Ooh, and those sweatshirts are so damn comfy. The next time you're thinking about scoring a new piece of gear, remember to check out URBNSV. Last but not least, today's podcast is brought to you by A3 Body Protectant. A3 was designed when Martin noticed that Hawaiian surfers who spend their entire lives in the sun had radiant, healthy skin. After plenty of awkward questions about how seriously they take their skin care, he learned the secrets. Hawaii's best secret is now available at A3Equip.com. That's A3 equp.com. A3 is a truly natural cream that can be used as a skin lotion, a lip balm, a hair conditioner, honestly anywhere you want to keep moist and healthy. Get yours today at a3equp.com. Proceed with caution. All doctors to the ER. Do these guys have any idea what they are talking about? Talking about? Talking about? Get squared away. Spiritual. Get squared away. Emotional. Get squared away. Mental. Get squared away. Physical. The podcast that'll help you get squared away. All right, we are back here with a, a little special news update podcast. Uh, Tanner, I got your information from Will Renke. He shot me out a, a text that said, hey, you got to get a hold of this guy. Just got back from Afghanistan on the EVAC, and uh, I just shot out a text right away, and and you were awesome to, to just reply. So why don't you, I guess, fill us in after our technical difficulties with uh, what you were doing over there. So I'd, I've been working over there as a security contractor as – a explosive detection canine handler. Um, I've been there since April 1st. This is my second rotation. So I've been there about five months. Um, I did another rotation last year, um, September of 2020 to January of 2021 is when I came back, small break, and then rotated back out. I was finishing up this rotation. I was due to go home on the 25th of August. And then obviously this whole evac happened in the middle of uh me on my way home basically and everything had to get moved up so and um was this was there tellings of this early on or was this just did this just kind of blindside you guys or what 100 percent. this was definitely not something that just unfolded in 72 hours you know and looking at the media and looking from what i've seen of it 
that's what it looks like. It looks like just in a couple of days, all of a sudden, Taliban was was there in the capital and and overran the entire country. That's not that's not the case. We've been getting intel um, since April, May, and even before then, saying that Taliban is is winning most of their battles. They're winning. They're taking districts on a weekly basis, and they are they're not stopping. Right. So you can start to see the map close in with all the districts of. And the Afghan National Army that, you know, they did, you know, I think a lot of it is said that they haven't done anything. And that's not true. Some of them have, but it just hasn't been enough. And the Taliban just came into overwhelming force and kept on gaining more and more momentum, winning more battles. And uh, ANA just couldn't keep up. But this is definitely something that has been unfolding over six months plus and did not happen like that. I think Martin, you want to hit with your question? Oh yeah, I mean, before we uh, got chopped off there a little bit, because I was wondering logistic-wise, uh, and you, you said Bagram had closed down a month ago, but why they didn't, you know, strategically move, uh, you know, assets, and and did they not have time? Did they not have resources to, you know, get that uh, that evac out through Bagram instead of the, you know, the big mess you guys had? Sure. So I just think that Bagram, since we closed that about a month ago, that uh, it, we, I think, considered it compromised. Um, and the thing about Alvarado is we already had that set up. You know, we also had HKI as well. So definitely both spots that we had forces already implemented on the ground. You know, we have uh, canine guys that were working there and security contractors already set up. So, but when it came down to closing up Bagram, I still view that in my opinion as the worst strategic decision that they made in this decide to pull out of Afghanistan, this decision. And it made zero sense. It's like they forgot that there was a war going on when they when they closed up Bagram and pulled out all those resources, all of those troops um, and that capability, putting the entire diplomatic and every American and anyone who had worked with uh, the United States in danger and more danger because of that. And when I mean, basically, how long before you were out of there, did they kind of tell you guys like, all right, we're getting the fuck out of here? Sure. So what was that? What was that time period? Gosh. So the 13th was the initial notification. That's when we got told the Taliban was 100 miles out and, you know, we might all need to be ready to leave. So they were like, hey. We don't know exactly what nothing solid's come down. This is like 1800 on the 13th, right? So that's typically when we get like our briefings around that time. And that's what came up. And it was just kind of this vague. And if you've worked in any kind of government capacity before, that's how it usually comes down. It's super vague. There's no information. There's no point of even asking questions because no one knows. And if anybody, you ask a question, there's no point because it's going to change within two hours. And that is what, from that moment on, every two hours, we had conflicting information that was changing the situation rapidly. And we just had to adjust fire and by the 14th was the main notification was the hey this is it we're sh- like we need to get out of here like shit's about to go down and we have little to no support already out here i know that they had said that they were sending 3000 i think the 13th is when they said that they were sending 3000 troops to afghanistan now maybe they have maybe they're there now but they were not there then so they did not get there 
whenever they said that they were sending them, there was less than 300 troops that were there. So oh. that that's that's all it was, honestly. Um, to evac to evac everybody. To evac everyone, and they didn't even really. Like I saw like 10 guys that assisted with the evac when it came down to the helicopters and stuff. Like we already had those helicopters that we were using to already transport because you know how the embassy set up is the embassy is away from the Alvarado and Bagram. And so you have to helicopter over uh, to evac out of the area. So that was something that we are resources we already had. Um, that really wasn't something that came in to, to assist. Yeah. When I got to the airport, there was definitely some, uh, some more Apaches and things like that. And that's kind of what you saw flying around the 17 as he was trying to get out of there and shoot, you know, move those guys away. So, um, yeah. And then that's, that's kind of what it was. The 14th was like a, Oh shit, we need to get out of here. And, um, I flew out that night, about 2,300. I was at Alvarado, 2,330 or 2,320. You know, it's not a far ride. Um, and, you know, our kind of K9 guys were already there. Um, we were there in the morning, and our flight was supposed to leave the 15th around 1,500. Um, but it went from the 13th, they said Tally was 100 miles out, to the 14th that they are like 50 in it like that they're basically here so and that's what you saw on the 15th that they were there so what what's protocol when that word comes down like what are you guys taking what are you leaving what are you doing with everything what what confidential shit are you covering up like what i mean you guys clearly it's fire drill right yeah exactly that, and that's what happened i mean the burn pits cooked up on the 14th and we were just tossing everything everything we could get our hands on we were burning um as far as vehicles we weren't ready to disable those because we actually stripped them getting them ready to possibly ground transport out we didn't know we were preparing to take care of uh, our guys and our units and what we could fit in our vehicles and the dogs because that's the thing we had um you know it's over like 60 dogs on the ground right yeah so we there's a big it was a big canine force. So that's, uh, you know, it wasn't just guys that we were trying to get out of there. It was also those canines. And because we weren't leaving them behind at at any cost, at anything that we were doing, we, we were fully prepared to get those dogs out of there no matter what it took. Um, and that's why we didn't burn the vehicles or disable them because we knew that we needed them uh, just in case to get our guys out of there. So that was the 14th. That's when we didn't have helicopters rides. We didn't have that confirmed. And we were already preparing for secondary routes of travel just in case in case we needed to bug out and get to the airport. What kind of stuff did you guys have to leave there? Um, I mean, we took our, we don't really have much as, as the canine guys, you know, like honestly, you know, we had our kit, helmet, uh, our rifle, pistol, ammo, and our dog, you know, that's all that was really important. Everything else was just kind of personal effects and stuff like that. Um, anything with our name on it, we burned and, and, uh, we just burned everything we could, didn't need, packed everything else up and just got the dogs out of there that's the that was our definitely our main concern for us um as far as you know weapons and and equipment and things like that all of that was took to um alvarado and either evac'd out so i can speak for all of our guns and our equipment we took that with us we weren't gonna let anybody get their hands on that 
So pretty much, I mean, pretty much everything that, you know, weapons, uh, equipment that the Afghan army had, though, I mean, that's basically the problem. Yeah, that's the all the equipment that they had. And and that's the thing. Even when you do see us leave a lot. And I don't know if you I'm sure you guys are familiar that it's pretty procedure to disable that equipment to where it's non-functional. So anything that we left behind, I would be really surprised to see if it was functioning. But the main issue is the Afghan National Army. Everything that we gave to them, they probably didn't disable it. And so that that's where the biggest issue transfer of equipment. Um, and that's why you see these guys in the Capitol and they have ACOGs, they have updated AR-15s, they have, you know, it looks like legitimate gear. And I think that's where it, most of it came from is the Afghan National Army, unfortunately. Well, did you have a lot of the uh, Afghanis uh, embedded with your guys? As canine handlers, no, that was definitely, uh, we didn't have any Afghani canine handlers. Now, they did work on the embassy, um, but they kind of worked in uh, in relation to the, I don't know if you're familiar with the, the Gurkha, Gurkha yeah. population. Yeah, so that was who we used primarily as our, as our security force. We did have local nationals that worked with us, um, but we mostly worked with uh, the Gurkha force that were a part of the Kabul embassy security force. How, how often were you guys getting out into town out of the embassy? Was it daily? So it depended on where you worked at. Um, there was camps and assets that we had outside of the embassy. So I wouldn't say I spent a ton of time during uh, out, out in the town just for, for my position that I worked. Um, as far as operations that were worked outside of that, there was definitely some that were going on. But COVID had already minimized a lot of that. Um, there wasn't a lot of movements going on around there. But um, I, I worked off the embassy. So I, I was frequently, I, daily, I would go off. What was so, the... What was the kind of the attitude around um, the local population with what was going on? They were definitely, you know, I think that we had built a reputation up with with the people there after being there for so long and that they had just never seen. I mean, you got to see, you got to think they developed that perception of us over 20 years and how we act and how we're kind of bolstered. We stick our heels in, we fight. Right. So I, I do not think that they saw, uh, this coming in this past year about how, uh, we evacuated and everything like that, how we pulled out the troops and, and really, um, stopped basically engaging the, the Taliban. Um, so I, I think that they were still confident that, you know, like we still had a really good reputation with them. I still I still think that they were confident that we were going to help them and we weren't actually going to leave. I think that was probably in most of their brains. I think most of them were like, I don't really think that they're going to go. And neither did we, to be honest. Yeah. yeah. Well, this is going to be tough uh, Yeah, moving in the future. I mean, who's going to trust us, right? Exactly. That's the biggest thing. And, you know, I talk to – I always go back to this, um, you know, when I – something that really sticks with me is that this uh, guy that worked at the dining facility, he spoke four different languages, you know, you kind of build a relationship with these guys um, and you definitely become friends with them. And I mean, somebody that had worked with us for so long and had been employed at the embassy and worked at other spots and camps, and he'd been trying to get his visa approved for so long and it didn't happen. And now, and now, and exactly that's my that's my thing is like how can anyone 
trust us after this. Like, yeah, they trust the Like, I guarantee you, if you still ask that guy if he trusted me or any of the guys that I worked with, he'd say, yes, I trust those guys on the ground because they're reliable. When they, when I needed help from them, they always helped me. But when it came down to the leadership of our country, yeah. they failed those people. And every country that we, if we go ever go anywhere else, if we ever go into, they're going to be hesitant to work with us. Why would they? Because then now look what happened. Now they're turned over and the Taliban, and I talked to him personally, and he said they are looking for people that were working with the Americans and they are hunting them down. So there you go. Sickening. Yeah, Martin and I talked this morning a little bit about this. And, and, and the thing is, is, is there's a lot of different attitudes going around about all of this. You know, there's there's the side that that we lost, right? But that's bullshit because all of the effort that's been put in there has saved thousands or hundreds of thousands of people and they've been able to escape the country and they've created ed- education, you know, made it into educational systems and are, and are living good lives now. But like Martin said this morning, the goal there was never, it was never to, to win basically. It was to educate the populace so that they then generations down the line can take can run their own country. I mean, it's, I mean, what we talked about this morning is that I mean, you know it, right, Tanner? It's I mean, it's a it's an illiterate population, right? And you can't there is not education there, and it, it takes you know maybe a good 50, 60 years before that turns. But you know that was the process. It wasn't to win a war, but you know to get these people some you know foundation. And uh, yeah, it's just literally you know twenty years of work wiped away. Definitely. I still think that those people are are there, um, but under Taliban rule, they will never let any of those principles that we implemented come into strong effect. They will literally kill their way through those people uh, before they let any of those principles come into their teachings and they will control everything that's uh, backed up onto that. I was, you know, I saw the notification that they had pulled all the girls out of school Um, even before then, you know, this isn't something that we were like, oh, they stopped all this. We're going to go ahead and uh, pull out. No, I mean, last year I was there when they had bombed the school. Right. So they went in there and killed 26 kids. And I saw them wrapped in the same blankets that that I had on my bed, you know, and that was just something that when you see that, it's just blows your mind, you know, to come into that effect of come in, blow up the school and shoot these kids while they're in their classrooms. And you got all these kids that are trying to hop the wall. They're all working together to hoist each other up over the wall. That happened before we we had done that. And I think it as you saw more of a, a you know, a retreat or more of a, a pullout, that's more that's going to become more frequent. And once we kind of go hands off with the Taliban and not keep that constant pressure on them of, hey, if you do this, we're going to bomb the hell out of you. We're going to come on strong. And, you know, I think that's kind of the piece through strength of what um, I've believed in and I think has worked um, for the majority of this, this war that we've had. Yeah, and I think the, the question is, uh, you know, how many Americans are still on the ground right now? You know, I've heard numbers of up to, you know, 10,000 today. Uh, there's private groups, you know, working to try to get them out. But, you know, from what I've heard, there's been no action from our leadership or any words to, you know, back that up. So, you know, I don't know what that 10,000, I mean, you know, can you elaborate on that? What that population is? I mean, 
Sure. So, uh, you know, I had seen that number thrown around a lot and I, I just don't know exactly in what occupation they're talking about. If they're talking about Americans that were just flat out living in Afghanistan, then okay, you know, maybe that number is is somewhere out there. I don't know where they're calculating that number at. I can say for the diplomatic side and for, um, you know, the security contractors and things like that, most of those guys are all off the ground. And I mean, we had less than that to defend the, I mean, we didn't have that much to uh, defend the embassy even, so. I, I don't know. I think that they have to be talking about Americans that are living in that area. Um, but to my knowledge, I don't. I don't think a lot of them were living in that area. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm confused a little bit. I'd like to see the details and where they calculated that. I know that they had put out a couple of things online and social media, you know, last second that were like, hey, reach out to State Department, and you know, they put an email and you know, try to get in touch with and things like that. And that's, you know. <laughs> just just the way that this was done was just the worst way possible to be yeah. so 72 hours okay everyone out right and if you're not like immediate embassy then you're pretty screwed you know when it comes down to it like there should have been processes and plans in place you know how many people do we have working on this mission of the pullout of afghanistan how many people do we have in the government what are they doing because i don't know if they've done anything between this last six months and that, that comes down from from not just all the way to the top but there's so many people working this mission that there was nothing set in place right and i know general miller he advised against the the pullout of bagram and this is why politicians shouldn't run wars. I mean, look at the strategic decisions that they're making that are putting Americans at risk. That never should happen ever because they don't know what they're doing. They don't. I'm I'm a dog handler, right? So I don't come in and try to tell an engineer that works on an oil tanker what to do because that's his job. I let him do his job. I'm not an expert on that. And it was obvious that people that do know how to make these decisions and do know how to move troops around in a, in a right strategic way without putting a lot of people at risk, they, they weren't making these decisions, unfortunately. It doesn't seem like there was any, it doesn't seem like there was any sort of um, like pre-planning or vetting of all of, okay, we have this many people here, we need to get out here, we have this many, you know, friendlies working in the area. I mean, realistically, the minute that they start deciding that they're going to pull out, like, exactly, the end game isn't we're going to pull out and, and the country is going to be safe for everyone to be there, right? Like, we know, we know when we start dropping down forces that it's going to be a mess. Like, immediately when that happens, there should have been somebody in place to start planning who needs to get the fuck out of there exactly yeah and that wasn't happening you know that really was that's not something that had happened um in the time that um even if we would have started a month ago right how much could we have got done in a month ago and okay for whatever paperwork reason we can't get these visas done for these guys that have worked with us for 20 years and fought with us uh, you know in their own country in a civil war basically Let's move them somewhere. I mean, how many allied forces do we have? How many areas, how many immigrants do we let in from the Southern border that have right. never done anything, have never done anything for us? And I'm not against immigrants coming in to, you know, through the Southern border at all whatsoever. I think there's a proper way to do it. Um, and I understand that. I want them to do the proper way as well. But 
we can still move him. We can still find a spot for him. They'd, they'd be safe, at least. They'd be safe. You know, they wouldn't be hunted down. And as far as getting them out now, there should be evac points somewhere. Now, you know, multiple options, right? We can set up. We have so many resources. We have so many allied. Let's get them on the outskirts of the city. Let's get those spots protected. Let's say, hey, if you come near the spots, you try to attack us, we will blow you to kingdom come. But we are going to get our guys out of there and... If you don't want to mess with us, then you then don't touch any of those people because we're going to come in and get them at whatever it takes. But yeah, even I, across arbitrary borders, because from what I understand, there's like the, the people that live there, they the borders that we impose or the rest of the world imposes on those mm-hmm. countries, like those are bullshit borders. They mm-hmm. they right across back and forth, back and forth. Oh yeah, we, just, we set the arbitrary borders and can't operate off this border, can't operate operate across this border, and yeah, I mean. Lines on a map. Use that to our advantage. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. And we can get them in there. Yeah. Versus, I think it's obvious that the Taliban does not want to engage U.S. forces, based on based on the response that they've that they've had for the for the over a year, you know, of almost a year of me being there. They, you know, I I had really not seen them try to engage with us. They want us to leave because they knew the only thing standing in between them and taking back their country was us. So why provoke the one thing keeping? You know, because if they did, they didn't want to chance the fact that, hey, you know, they might actually come back in and be like, no, they they are a threat. Taliban right now is showing that they're not necessarily a threat to the U.S. That relationship could go sour at the drop of a pin, but it's still something that we, we should still get these guys out of there that helped us because they will be dead in six months, if not sooner, if we do not get them out. Yeah, this administration, I, I don't understand. I mean, they keep acting like they're just talking to the Taliban. And I mean, you know, mm-hmm. those those guys aren't talkers. I mean, no. These guys are just going to impose their will. They're going to lie, do whatever it takes. I mean, they have their own agenda and they're yes. going to do it no matter what. So, yeah, it's just it's sad. And uh, yeah, I, uh, it's disappointing. Yeah, it's it's. And that's what, like, I see a lot of um, guilt and shame from a lot of guys that, you know, they kind of initially kind of get that thought in their head of, why did I even go? You know, why did I sign that dotted line? Why did I go down there? But, you know, I think just reminding them that, you know, I'm proud of them personally. I'm proud of the ones that have fought down there. I'm proud of the ones that have created two generations, you know, or multiple generations, 20 years of of mostly peace where girls could go to school and live that type of life. And I think it's something that their country um, and their people should want to fight for. And I do believe that, you know, it kind of gets blanket statement of, uh, you know, they don't want to fight. They don't, you know, want to do that. And I disagree. There are some fighters out there that really did try and some of them gave their lives for that cause too. And that means something. So, um, you know, I didn't think we didn't go there for anything. I think we killed a lot of terrorists. I think we did a lot of good things. And whenever we decided to pull out, you know, that's, that's its own thing, but it's unacceptable for the way that this administration handled this uh, evacuation of, of Afghanistan and evacuation of the embassy. Yeah. I agree. I mean, you're just handing over, you know, existing infrastructure now. Exactly. Blow it up. Jay, damn it. Who gives a shit? If you're going to leave it, I don't want to leave them a a round. I don't want to leave them a five, five, six round, let alone billions of dollars of taxpayer money that's sitting in there with the tall buildings and 
vehicles and and all that depending on what we left um and they had already said um i believe their last stance on it that they have no intentions of destroying any u.s equipment that was left behind in any way shape or form so i mean yeah. How many countries do we need to evacuate? How many embassies do we need to evacuate and leave before we get good at this? I mean, we've been at war for how long since the beginning? I mean, America was founded in a war, right? So the fact that we haven't gotten any any better at this and learned from our mistakes in Vietnam and all these issues and for him to make, come on and make statements that this will – you'll never see uh, an American or anyone getting lifted off the top of an embassy – and there you go. Yeah. You got it right there. Now you got Afghans that are flying off of our airplanes at the airport because there was no perimeter security. And this is kind of what goes to um, how much they had left to defend our assets that we had had. This is we didn't have airport security. You know, we didn't have enough. We did not have perimeter security on the ground when we were trying to get our guys out of there on the, on the 15th. So that shows some extreme concern of... Where's the where's the strategic? I mean, are we just do we forget we're in Afghanistan for for six months or whatever it is? Do we forget where we're at because we're still there, and this is what you get. This is the consequences of letting politicians make these kind of strategic decisions. Yeah, but yeah, nobody's accountable, right? Nope, no one is accountable. Who's going to get held accountable for this? If I say this all the time. I say if I came up to my job and I put people in danger, if I let a bomb go through or anything like that, I'd be fired in a heartbeat, possibly put in jail. But these politicians can do this and make these decisions. And we have people flying off airplanes that are dying and getting hunted down that worked with the U.S. And they, there's, there will probably be no accountability for this, honestly. And it's just it's disgusting. Yeah. One of the big problems is is new new war is nothing like old war, right? Like old war, when you talk about like Alexander the Great and the Soviets and like you go in and you conquer a country and you take it over and you make it yours, right? That's that's not how war is done anymore. War, you know, war is done as to go in and try to build a people up and educate a people, especially like with this and with Iraq and everything. And and make them safe and try to Americanize them to the point that they then run their own country. Well, nobody's figured out how to do that yet. No. Mm-hmm. That, that's not something that, there's no playbook for that yet. Definitely not an easy task. I agree, I agree with that. And that's kind of what, you know, Martin was talking about of, of, you know, building and building that foundation of these principles and then letting them take over and to kind of let all of that go now. It, it seems like just such a terrible option. I mean, how many I kind of goes back to, OK, so America doesn't want to be the one that's leading this fight anymore. That's fine. How many superpowers are we allied with that can take over, that agree with these same principles and these same values and agree that we need in that area? And what, however you need to convince them of whatever it is, because we still planned on sending money and resources to Afghanistan. We never and we still probably will after this in some way, shape or form. Good Lord, hope it's not to the Taliban, but that definitely could be something that has been happening. I, I'm not 100% sure. I'm not. That's above my pay grade, right? My intelligence level. Um, but there's a bunch of allied forces that could take the lead for that charge. And you know what? Okay, we did it for 20 years and we led the fight with, along with a few major players. Somebody else needs to come in and rotate. Somebody else take the next 10 years, next five years, and do a five-year contract with that allied country or whatever it is, and have them come in. As soon as they're in, then we could leave. 
and, and keep on keep up that fight and then eventually over time it is going to extinguish that out it's just going to take a lot longer than 20 years people are like gosh 20 years that is such a minuscule amount of time for how long that region has been at war with themselves over religion and all of these principles that they have they've been fighting for hundreds and hundreds of years and we cannot think that 20 years is fully going to change that and you can't think like Alexander the Great failed, right? The Soviets mm-hmm. failed, Britain failed. Like what? What? We're just going to do the same fucking thing and think that it yeah. kind of magically? I mean, this is a multi generational investment, is what it needed to be, mm-hmm. and that's scary. That's scary as fuck to say. Multi generational. Yeah. Like we needed to be there for 60, 70 years, or yeah. somebody, somebody, uh, somebody fighting for human rights because that's what this is, right? It's human mm-hmm. rights. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, now it's so there's the primary mission that I, the primary objective was that 9-11 happened. Terrorists came in and they killed Americans. We weren't going to let that slide. The primary objective, in my opinion, of this war was to come in and kill terrorists and held the people responsible. We came in, we killed a bunch of terrorists, got Osama bin Laden. Right. And now what, while we wanted to do that, we wanted to do more than just that. We weren't just going to come into a country and because America was supposed to be better than that because America was better than that. We're not just going to come in here and kill a bunch of people. We're actually going to try to make your country better. We're going to let girls go to school. We're going to create these foundational principles that your society can live on and be at a peaceful society with each other and, and live in prosper, right? Bring them the American dream to the Afghanistan dream that every country should be able to have. So we were going to do more than that, right? So I think that we hit our primary objective, um, but how we handled our secondary and, you know, so on objectives like that, uh, we definitely uh, missed the mark on that and, and, uh, you know, didn't get to continue that. I think that's the biggest part of that. Yeah. So how are you doing? I mean, now that you're home, it's probably been like a tornado. Been on podcasts and... Yeah. I can't even... I don't know. It's like I... Because I've come home before and it's like all, you know, it's great. You're home, back in the States. You know, I get to see my wife, get to see my family, go have some beers and uh, just relax for a second. And this one, I feel completely different. I come back. um, I'm upset. I'm angry. Uh, I feel like we, you know, I know guys that are still there that that have been let down. And I don't, for the first time, I don't want to be here. I want to be over there. And I want to be helping in any way I can because it's obvious that politicians aren't going to help. But when you're there and you can see somebody that needs your help and you can affect change with your hands, there's no paperwork to get started. There's no process. There's no email. There's no phone call. You get out there and you go help that person in need. And that's what I want to be doing right now. And unfortunately... I'm just not at that position to be doing it right now. But so I feel like shit, to be honest, you know, I go through moments of being happy and being myself. And then next minute I'm on edge and I'm just ready to get back into it. Yeah. And there's a lot of guys that think they're feeling that way right now. You know, just get a plane and get over there and get get something done. Yeah, something. Yeah. And I know that there's groups over there that are that are doing it right now and they're um gosh uh 
can't remember off the top of my head, but yeah, there's definitely some small groups in there with probably little to no funding that are in there trying to get people out and doing anything that they can. That's affecting change. That's doing something. That's the American way. And people's perception of America, those are what an American is to me. It's somebody that goes in there and it helps people that have no shield, that don't know how to help themselves, and they go in there. And we get a lot of scrutiny as America coming in and, you know, to these other spots in the world that aren't ours. But if you go talk to those people that are there, if you go talk to those Afghan, why would they be hanging off planes? They hated us that bad. If those people loved us, they really did. They still do. They still they still love us. And honestly, there's a I mean, I'm sure there's some that feel uh, a different way about it. But, you know, we helped a lot of families out there. And, um, you know, I think that for the most part, no one else is doing it. You know, look at, look at a country like China. God forbid anyone talk about China in, in a bad way in social media and any optic, any way, shape or form. They don't care. They have all the mineral rights, right? So they came in, they have all the mineral rights. Now they're sitting there. Now they're happy. They don't care who's in charge. It doesn't matter to them. They just know that now that the U.S. isn't involved, now they can just pay off whoever the hell they want and take all the minerals and complete and take that. I mean, they want to they want a dog on America for what we're doing. We didn't try to take all their resources so they could thrive. What do you think China is going to do? You think they're going to give that back to Afghanistan? No, those people of Afghanistan are are not going to be able to prosper like that. But maybe after 50, 70 years of of us doing this process and them start to get manufacturing and mining, they could have been a global powerhouse, right? But nobody wants that to happen because everyone's trying to bring up all those resources that they possibly can. So now China's rolled in. They don't care. We're out now. And they're going to pay off whoever and take all those resources from those people. But you're not going to see that on the news. You're you're not, you're not going to see about that scrutiny. No, but they're going to, they're going to go in there and they're going to pay pennies on the dollar for (laughs) everything they can to the fucking 50 people that are in charge and everybody else is going to suffer. It's not going to be, it's not going to be an economy. It's going to be 50 guys that, that run, Mm -hmm. you know, no jobs. Taliban armed forces getting mm-hmm. super wealthy and that's it. Mm-hmm. And they'll keep all of it and they'll live in their nice little palaces and they'll be that top, top, top 1%. And then their people won't have jobs. They'll still continue to be poor, still continue to be oppressed. And their, their little girl is in fear of getting sold into uh, child sex slavery on top of that. So there you go. Yeah. Yeah, we're getting some feeds last night from, um, you know, some of the missionaries and churches that are down there and just uh, some of the what they're imposing on them is to, you know, there's females. If there's a female in the the household, they got to put an X in the door frame and what they're doing with them obviously is going to be related to the sex trade. Um, You know, there's more details on that. I don't want to discuss here, but it's just... um, you know, I just I look back at we used to be a country that if there's a you know American on the ground, I mean we'd scorch earth to get them out. Yep. And now it's like uh, you know you go back to Benghazi, it's like you know we got a State Department, we got you know administration that's willing to just leave people behind. I mean it's just uh, yeah, I can't tell you how it just pisses me off. And you know, mm-hmm. hour to hour, it's unacceptable. Yeah, it's. It's insane. I mean, and that's, it just shows how 
how fast America can change and it can go from where we would do anything and do whatever it takes. And I think that also builds that that reputation. You know, it built that, hey, you probably shouldn't mess with that mess with that embassy, mess with that unit or anything like that. It protects the guys that are on the ground. And when you start doing strategic decisions like this, countries and uh, enemy forces are going to recognize this. And once they sense weakness, they're just like any other animal in the jungle, any other animal in the forest. When a predator senses that something else is, is weak, they will attack. Now, so it just makes these guys even more in danger on the ground. And but they don't get that right because they're not there. They're not seeing it. And even people that aren't there aren't seeing it. It doesn't I, you know, there's so many people that haven't been to Afghanistan. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with still being like, hey, you know, it's still common sense. It's still something that you can care about without having to go there. But they're also the people that care about that stuff are the people that listen to the guys that are on the ground, listen to the guys that have been there and understand how these people work how the Taliban's mind thinks, how our enemy thinks. And once they understand that, they know that there's things that we should do and shouldn't do. Now, if these, these politicians simply just don't listen at all to anyone on the ground. And, you know, you kind of see that coming from like a military background of myself. You know, it was also lost in transition between a between a chief and, a, and an E4, you know. So you would see a lot of that not even happen from such a small gap to the top. So there is, there's a lot that needs to be fixed here. And, uh, you know, it, it's be interesting to see what happens because we've had these issues before and what have we done to fix them until now? And this is, you see the results of lack of preparedness and still not doing the same thing or still not doing what needs to get done doing it's, it's it's insanity. That's the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. How are we expecting a different result? We're not changing anything. So something needs to change. So let's let's fix politics right now. We got 15 minutes. Let's, let's fix let's fix American politics right here. Term limits. Term limits. No, yeah. Term limits. No mm-hmm. lobbying. Yep. There, I mean, there's two right there that that would be able to Cam- affect campaign funding reform. Yeah, 100. percent I don't think that. Um, only people that are in a wealthy basis should be able to go because that's kind of where it comes from. So like the super wealthy, uh, you know, that are in America, um, how detached are they from the 90 percent of people below them? You know, how, how do they understand that struggle? You know, I'll, I know uh, Eli Crane. Um, I know he's out of Arizona and he's running um, to, as a Navy SEAL. So I think that's a great start. Let's get somebody that's that's just a, a normal guy that started a business and, and provided for his family and, and is doing great things out of Arizona. And let's start um, putting our backing between, behind those people. I talked about this on another podcast. I'm personally a person that uh, stays away from politics or has stayed away from politics. But you know what? I'm here now. And uh, I can't just be quiet about this. You know, I just got home and the first thing I wanted to do, and that's why I texted Will. And I was like, hey, man, get me on a podcast. I need to, I want you to just, I need to talk about this. We need to get this out. We need to, we need, everyone needs to hear about this and we need to, we need to get moving and start. I don't know. I don't know exactly how to fix it. I don't, I really don't. And I don't think anyone does, but I think that we need to change up what we're doing. And, um, you know, we need to get more involved with politics. We need to elect guys like Eli that are there for the people because they are the people, right? I mean, 
<laughs> when you hear our administration come up in front of a mic and say that the government is the people, right? No, no, they're not. Yeah. They're not. There's a lot. They're supposed to work for the people. There's a large portion of our population that needs to just wake up. Their eyes need <laughs> to open up. They need to quit giving a fuck about you know their screen time and their and their you know filling their fat faces full of donuts and and just open their eyes and see what's going on and and hopefully i mean you know we're not going to do that just ourselves here but thousands and thousands and thousands of these podcasts recorded hours and hours and hours and guys like dan crenshaw tim kennedy jack Carr, and all these guys that are that are doing this in a, in a way larger format than we are um hopefully enough people do open their eyes and see that you know it, it's it's hundreds of thousands of people like us throwing $50 towards the right type of people is going to accumulate much larger in the short term to make changes than, you know, the, the maximum campaign contributions that mm-hmm. the super wealthy can, but that are tied to something, but we have to do it. Mm-hmm. It has to actually yeah. be done. Sure. This to be a constant thing. I mean, we talk about how fast our country's changed and our, uh, kind of who we are or who leads us. You know, I think who leads us has changed and the whole America first um, concept has changed. But I still believe in my heart. You know, I go down the street, I go knock on my neighbor's door that I've never met before. And he's a, he's a great guy. He's a great person. You know, I go see somebody at the grocery store. They're good people. They're good hearted people. They're still, you know, I still see fighters. I still see people with heart. So I still think that the heart of America is still there. I just think that somebody else is leading us in the wrong direction right now. And just as quickly as they change the direction, we can change it back and we can start electing those people that are making the right decisions, that are putting America first, that don't have money tied to agreements and things like that, that are going to bring bring it back to where it was at. Or, you know what, if you didn't like where it was at, let's make it better then. You know, let's actually make it better. But this isn't the way. And on every every aspect that we can see, all of our our food prices, so our cost of living is gone, is skyrocketed, and the our for the living, you know, the living wage, gas, every everything has gone up. I came back and I was like, what what happened? You know, right? But we all know what happened, right? These jobs and becoming energy reliant and all that is getting shoved to outside countries. A pipeline isn't okay here in the United States, but it's okay in Russia. Yeah. 70 yeah, I mean I just saw yesterday 72 billion dollars worth of this budget is going to put, you know, uh, make auto plants available to create electric cars and to put in electric uh, charging stations everywhere. Mm-hmm. So that's why yeah. all these companies like GM are like, yeah, we'll make electric cars, sure, why yeah. not? Government's paying to change all of our plants over. Why wouldn't we? Cheaper for them, less efficient, higher profit margin. They can fire more people. They have less people to do that. I mean, I lost, you know, talking about COVID, you know, I'm a small business owner myself, right? Or I was, right? Until COVID came down and don't worry, Amazon and Walmart. I mean, it was actually plan Z for me to go overseas and go take this job as a canine handler. I was going to come home and start a business and um, or continue my business, hire on employees and provide for my family that way and COVID happened but and they shut down the entire economy and Walmart got shut uh, Walmart didn't get shut down 
Amazon got richer, right? So when they're like, people are like, well, Amazon agrees with minimum wage. Well, no shit they agree with it. They're the only ones that can afford the minimum wage getting raised. And you just crush how many small businesses and gym owners and, and everything like that. And they can't afford to pay somebody minimum wage like that if you raise it up high enough. But of course, you're going to need to raise the minimum wage because you're raising the cost of living by 25, 35%. And I don't know if by you, I don't know if it's a, if it's an issue by you, but by us, it, minimum wage is non-existent. It doesn't matter because you can't, mm-hmm. even if you paid $10 an hour, $8 an hour, you can't hire a fucking soul. Right now no. you're, you're paying $16 an hour and you can't hire a soul. I mean, I don't know if no. you guys have gone to a restaurant lately. There's absolutely no servers no. available. I, mean, I went to Walmart oh, and I was like, God. oh, you know what was crazy, dude? I went to Walmart and the lady that helped me in the lawn center was 68 years old, 70 years old. I went up to the register. She was 67 years old, learned how to work all the equipment. I went, to, I had to go to customer service because my order didn't pan out and something uh, had an issue with the card reader. She figured, she sorted me all all out and she got me over there and there was a 65 year old man. Look at this working generation that is still working there asses off right and and they are working just as hard as anyone my age or or younger and it's just like i'm blown away i'm blown away that this working generation is still supporting america and they should they are they're all drawing social security they're all most of them should be drawing retirement because they're the last ones that'll probably have retirement and things like that available to them inside the military and a couple of other corporations but it's insane you know yeah but the feds are handing out money, you yep. know, and people are taking the easy way out, mm-hmm. you know, and it's uh, the feds are also causing a lot of distraction. The media is not helping at all. I no. think it's, you know, you got to get your story out there and but you got to be louder than the media. And, and how, you know, how do we accomplish that? You know, that's a question. That's what it's, we got conversations like this. That's what we're trying to do. Is, and and mm-hmm. we talk we talk all the time about not taking the comfortable way out. I mean, that's it's every fucking podcast we cover that is not not taking the comfortable way, not taking the easy way, and and working for pride, right? Like those people, they probably don't need to work. Those people that helped you along, mm-hmm. realistically, mm-hmm. but they're working because they don't want to just sit at fucking home and collect the check. They want to go home and feel proud of their day. Yeah, proud they do. They they want to have purpose purpose do you get paid at home to just exist and sit there and watch netflix and be a consumer and pump your money into these large corporations it's not living you ask those people that do that they're not happy you know they aren't they're just doing because they don't know what else is out there get outside get your hands into something that means something to you and i'll tell you what i would trade being able to help a person over a thousand dollars any day of the week i really would because that feeling makes me feel alive makes me feel like i'm worth something as a man um and and just in general as as an american that's what i was raised on you know so So, quick we got like 13 minutes left 10 minutes left um what's it like to work with the dogs it's amazing it's uh it keeps you going i'll tell you that when you can deal with all this kind of stuff but uh having a morale booster like that i mean since i've been the dog handler since uh halfway through my military career in the air force and spent uh quite a bit of time working so many different dogs and it kept me going because i had to put up with being in the in the military so um it's amazing. They are truly such a huge asset and they're needed on the ground uh, everywhere. I think that they, 
um, their capability. No one, I, they've tried to throw so many machines at uh, the embassies and other places that I've worked, and they never work. They always fail, and they always come back to the dogs because the dogs are solid. So truly, uh, I'm, I'm really blessed, honestly, to work with the dogs that I have and the people in that community. What kind of, what kind of dogs are mostly working with? Mostly uh, shepherds and Malmois. They've kind of moved away from shepherds, in my opinion. The puppy program down at Lackland, you know, they're doing a lot of mouths. But I still, I got a soft spot in my heart for Sheps. I still think they got, they got the best nose. They're too smart though. That's why, you know, that's why the military is grabbing them, is grabbing Malamois because they're more like a, they're more like a tool, in my opinion. Of they kind of just do whatever they're told, and a shepherd will look at you and be like, "Mm, I don't know. How about you go do that? You know. So they're really Mal's are the best patrol dogs, in my opinion. I think Malamois best patrol dog. Best detection dogs are shepherds, in my opinion. Better nose. Awesome. Anything else, Martin? Um, how's your uh, your family? Everybody doing okay? You got a wife at home? Yeah, got a wife. Got glad you're home. Dad, brother, sister. Yeah, everyone's super glad that I'm home. I got you know friends that are. You know, could they kind of do that same thing? They're like, I'm glad you're home. And I kind of, they kind of get me off to the side and they're like, how are you doing though? And, yeah. you know, I think that's definitely good that you got to do with everyone. Because everyone's response is, you know, you know, when you're like, how are you? Good. You know, that's just a typical response, especially being a guy, because we're always good. But, um, you know, it's definitely good to open up to the people that, everyone kind of has their own personal thing that they um you know i deal with a lot of things internally and my wife is my rock she's what gets me through everything she's been through all of this and she was actually the only person that wasn't freaking out while i was gone during all this she because i said hey i got this we're good we're prepared um we've been planning for this uh for quite some time you know and we're prepared no matter what and i'm going to do whatever it takes to get back and i've always i made that promise that said i'm always going to come back and so far i've been able to keep it so yeah that's awesome that's what you need yep awesome thanks for getting in here and have this conversation with us today it's it's going to take you know hundreds of thousands of these conversations but i really think we can we can wake everybody up and and kind of give them the idea of what it's going to take to become you know america again not just Mm -hmm. a nation of slobs that sit around and watch Netflix. Definitely. And if anybody, you know, I know you, I don't know, uh, not familiar with a lot of your, your viewers and things like that. I'm sure you guys all feel the same way, but if anyone's kind of feeling this, that same frustration and they don't have somebody that they can reach out to, I would like to open myself up completely as a resource and I'll hop on a call. I'll go grab a beer, you know, whatever you need to kind of get this squared away in your head where, you know, you can kind of, you can find your peace because everyone needs to find their peace and you can't let, you know, we got to keep moving along, man. We got more work to do. we got a lot of stuff that we need to get done. And, uh, part of that is taking care of yourself and your mental well-being, mental well-being. So that's super important. Exactly. Awesome. Awesome. I'm going to hang, I'm going to,